If you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 18, verse 18. Acts chapter 18, verse 18. We'll go through the end of the chapter. You may say, John, we skipped a couple. We've been going through the book of Acts pretty steadily. We made it to chapter 9, and then all of a sudden we're jumping to 18. Um, we, for the next, cu- the next three weeks, we're going to be focusing on the church of Ephesus uh, in the journeys of Paul. And you'll see why as we go through it. Um, part of it's, we've been studying this in Sunday school, but... Um, most people don't know how much time they have left. I'm very much aware I've only got three more weeks with you. Um, So we're going to be focusing on the Church of Ephesus through the book of Acts. Um, Before we pray, I'm going to read the passage and then we'll pray. But I also want to take some time of confession. Uh, In in the historical liturgy of the church, uh, there was a part of it where there would be corporate confession, where people would take time to ask God for forgiveness of sins. And then there was assurance of pardon where we recognize that God has promised to forgive our sins. We've done that every night at our Sunday nights. Um, Before we approach this section of God's word and understand what it means to be the church and what it means to be a body with many parts, we need to understand what forgiveness means. What it means to ask God for forgiveness and what it means to ask each other for forgiveness. So let's read this passage and then bow our heads. We'll take some time. Please just take the time to genuinely yourself, in your place, talk with God. And then we will guide you through the prayer. Acts chapter 18, verses 18 to 26. Ah, it's 28. It's 28. Through verse 28. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Kencrete because he had a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it's God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. And they went down to Antioch, then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord and spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home. And explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who, were by, who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Let's bow together and pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this day to worship together. But God, we also come to you burdened. Yes, sometimes burdened by worry and distraction. But I must admit, we also come to you burdened by sin. God, we recognize that we have fallen short. We recognize that we have left 
many things undone that we ought to have done, and we have done many things that we ought not have done. God, we have, lot, we have not loved you as we should. We have not loved our neighbor as we should. We have fallen short in word and in deed and in thought. And yet, God, despite our sins, despite our errors, we thank you that you've promised that as far as the east is from the west, so far will you remove our transgressions from us. And so, God, we beg you for forgiveness. And we ask that you would cleanse us. We ask that you would transform us. Make us into the likeness of Christ. Do what it must to wrestle sin from our grasp. And God, the reason for this is because what unites us to one another is our faith in Jesus Christ. God, we are not perfect. We are nowhere near it. But we are united as the body of Christ because we are claimed, we claim to be followers of you. And so, Father, I pray that you would continually transform us so that when we look at one another and when those outside look at us, they would see Jesus Christ. God, I pray that as we study your word, get me out of the way, and that your spirit would speak to our hearts and our minds, that the word would be effective for convincing and converting sinners, myself included. We do pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. If you would go ahead and keep your Bibles open and follow along with me uh, through the chapter. But before we do that, Thanksgiving is a time with family. Some of you may have looked forward to that day with much anticipation. Some of you may have been nervous for that day uh, when everyone would be in the same room. We, uh, I don't know if it's this way with you. Uh, whenever, especially when I was younger, I think it's still the case, uh, I would... I was the younger brother, and I would nag my sister. I was the, the consummate younger brother that was just annoying. There's no other way around it. And I could say things about my sister and, and insult her and do terrible things to her. But as soon as somebody else tried to do this exact same thing I was doing, I would get really defensive and say, oh, that's my sister. You can't do that. And we do that with our families, don't we? We, 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 we protect. With some, when we're together, we may, you know, we may bicker, we may disagree, but as soon as someone else tries to step in, we want to defend and honor rises. And, and, but what's amazing is the longer I've spent with my sister and the longer we spend with our families, the more we learn that we are able to learn from one another. That those same things that used to really rub us the wrong way that may be part of their personality have really taught us so much about our lives. The passage today requires the image of the body with many parts, or the image of a family with many members. Think about a family. The last name, parents, things like that unite us forever. No matter how frustrated you may get with your sibling, they are forever your sibling. And the body of Christ is the exact same way. Christ unites us, and nothing can take that away. And one of the things maturity does is the older you get, you may have felt this with your parents when you were 16 or 17, you didn't want to listen to anything they said. But the older you got, you realized, huh, they knew what they were talking about, turns out. In the same way, 
We are called to learn from one another. To realize that we are united to one another. And to realize we need each other. Because God uses different kinds of people in the ministry of the gospel, we should all seek to learn from and teach each other. At this point, take a look at your bulletin. On the back, we put a map on there. Now, I also made a mistake. The top map is not Paul's first missionary journey. It is his second. And the one below is not Paul's second missionary journey, but it is his third. My deepest apologies. There's a missionary journey before this that took place. What we're looking at today is essentially the end of his second missionary journey and the beginning of his third. If you look at the top map, if you follow the line all the way around and you look to where the map is, to where the line comes to the east, you will see a big bold named, a big bold letter where it says Achaia. Smaller, just above that, is the city of Corinth. Paul was in Corinth at the beginning of this passage. That's where he was helping the church. And he was going to go from Corinth to Syria, which is essentially he was going to traverse the map. He was going to go from the east side of the map all the way to the west side of the map. The way he was going to go, if you notice, he didn't make a direct line. But he made a stop at a very famous port city named Ephesus. You'll notice that right, right below where it says Asia. So on his way from Corinth to Syria, he stopped at Ephesus. Now, as he was going to Ephesus, you'll realize <clears throat> that he goes through, he, he's going to go to Cancrea, then to Ephesus, and then he goes around the island down to Jerusalem, and then back up to where it says Antioch. And if you notice that it's there, it says starting point. Here's the deal. Antioch, according to Acts chapter 11, was the first place Christians were called Christians. That is also the place This becomes, that sort of becomes the the launching pad for most of the organized missionary efforts. That is the church that sent Paul. So every time Paul's new missionary journey starts, he starts it from Antioch. And whenever he ends it, he ends it at Antioch. So he makes this big circle, and that was his sending church. From there, he's going to go again to the areas, if you look at the, the map below... He's going to do almost an exact same, it's a little bit different, but he's going to make a similar sort of roundabout visit. But on the map below, you'll notice that he stops at Ephesus. We're going to talk about that stop next week. But for this week, you need to just know that Paul just happened to stay at Ephesus for a short time. Just have that sort of in the back of your mind. The geography really helps. If you look at our passage today, in verses 18 to 23, first we see Paul's initial visit to Ephesus. Now, remember who Paul is. He was an apostle. He was converted two weeks ago, if you were here. He wasn't actually converted two weeks ago, but we talked about it in Acts chapter 9. And so, since his conversion, he's, he, he went to Tarsus, spent some time there, and then he began preaching the gospel, and he went on his first missionary journey. Here we find him in the middle of his second missionary journey, He had been commissioned in Acts chapter 13 to share the gospel. The way he does it, though, is really interesting. When Paul would go to a place, he would first go to the synagogue. The people at the synagogue there were Jews. And they would be having religious discussion and reading the Old Testament. And that's where he would start. But Paul's duty was also to minister to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 10, we find the Gentiles, thank goodness for us, became. it was shown that they were very important to God. But also notice, 
that when Paul's initial conversion happened, remember what God said, I'm going to send him to testify to the Gentiles. It also talks about kings and rulers. Here, and if you look through your Bible, many of the names on this map are familiar to us, and the only reason they're familiar to us is because we find them in the Bible. The book of Corinth, the, sorry, the city of Corinth, first and second, Corinthians. The city of Philippi, Philippians. The city of Ephesus, Ephesians. These were cities that he visited, and then when he was far away, he would write them letter. Letters of encouragement, letters of correction, letters to remind them of what they learned about the word of God. And so when, when we read those letters, we should know these aren't just letters somebody was saying. This was somebody who cared deeply about them, who had invested in them in these, during these visits. And if you'll notice in verse 18, chapter 18, verse 18, it says that Paul stayed on at Corinth. That's the first place that we looked at. This was a very influential town in Achaia. He had some success. He had some resistance, as is typical, and he was there a little bit over 18 months in Corinth. Then from there, remember, he's going all the way across, but he makes a pit stop at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a major port city. It was very influential. It was considered the queen of Asia Minor. Um, It was a very religious city, not as far as Christianity goes, but with the imperial cult and, and, and a temple to a goddess named Artemis. Now, this stop was probably no more than coincidental. It was a great port. Uh, there were dangerous seas. And so when they stop at Ephesus, they stop to you know, put things on the, on the boat and, and more than likely just for a couple days. But what does Paul do? He doesn't stay on his cruise ship, so to speak. What does he do? He gets off, goes to the synagogue in Ephesus, and starts preaching the gospel. What's hilarious is if you look at chapter 18, verses 6, when he was at Corinth, he met some resistance in the synagogue, and he said, from now on, I won't be going to the synagogue. I will only preach to the Gentiles. And then just a couple of verses later, you see him going back to the synagogue. He couldn't stop. He couldn't stay away, not just from preaching the gospel, but preaching the gospel to the Jews. And what you see in verse 18 is that at, when he goes there, he reasons, he disputes, he, he speaks with the Jews, telling them about this Jesus person. What's amazing is, Paul is welcomed, and the people there in the synagogue beg him, please stay. And what does he say? He says, I cannot, but what what does he say? If it is God's will, I will return. And sure enough, we're going to see that God does allow him to return. But there's a little line in there that he says, it's there in verse, verse 18, that he says, I'm sorry, in verse 19, that he left them. Who is that them talking about? Well, we're going to see it's actually talking about Priscilla and Aquila. And just our hasty reading, we may have ignored their importance, but we're going to see they became became the pillars of the church. I would venture to guess that they were one of the founding, one of the core groups, one of the elders of the church that that later guided the church that would develop. And what's amazing is that, you know, if you follow the map around, Paul leaves, he gets back on his ship, and he goes, to, he goes to Jerusalem and then to Antioch, and he starts his second journey on his way back to Ephesus. But in the meantime, in the city of Ephesus, he leaves this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. So let's look at our text to see what it says about them. But before we do that, we need to look at this man named Apollos. If you look at 20, verses 24 to 28, we see a man named Apollos. He's a Jew. From Alexandria. Now, Alexandria held the largest library of the ancient world. If you wanted to know philosophy, 
Jewish studies, anything. You went to Alexandria. That was the place to be. So essentially, Apollos was in some senses from the Ivy League. He, he, he had great knowledge is the way he describes it. He knew the scriptures. What's also interesting to note is that traveling preachers were fairly common in that day. Paul is not the exception. What's amazing is that Apollos, what we know about him, he was so successful that later on, we're going to see that from Ephesus, he's going to go back to Corinth. He's going to ask to go to Corinth. And when he goes there, people liked his teaching and his preaching so much that some people said, I follow after Apollos. And then other people said, I follow after Paul. And it was actually, Paul and Apollos were doing such an incredible job that it was, it was creating a divide because people were saying, I need to follow after this man and his teaching. But in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, some of you say, I follow Apollos. Some of you say, I follow Paul. Don't follow us. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ is what he tells them. And he talks about how God used Apollos for one part and used Paul for another part, but it's God who gives the growth. How many times do we do that? How many times do we cling to a person and say, I follow after this man, his teaching, his... We're called to fix our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. There's nothing that any man can do. No man can save you. But we see that God used Apollos mightily To share the word of God. If you look at verse 25, it talks about how he was familiar with Christianity. He was instructed in the way of the Lord. If you remember from chapter 9, who was it that Saul was persecuting? It was those who belonged to the way. This has become a technical term. You are a follower of the way. And we talked about how from the book of John, Christ, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It was people who recognized, who followed after Jesus Christ. And so he was familiar with it. And how did he speak? Look at what it says. He spoke, he spoke with fervor, with boldness. Early, if you remember, from chapter 2 and then in chapter 4 of Acts, it talked about how Christians were praying for boldness. They knew they were going to be persecuted. They knew there were things they didn't want. They didn't, they didn't know. They were afraid of questions that might be asked. But they asked for boldness despite persecution. And God gives it to them. Here we see another man, Apollos, doing the exact same thing. He spoke with passion. Well, let me ask you a question. What do you really care about? What gets you excited? Can it be said that when you speak about the gospel of Jesus Christ, you get fired up? When you give your testimony, when you think about what the Lord has done, do you just do you fear do you feel a fire in your stomach that you just cannot put out? Or is that something that you talk about only when you have to? And I ask this because if you look at the character of Paulus, God uses him mightily, but he already had this desire. He spoke with fervor. He spoke with passion. He cared about it. We saw Paul earlier. He got off the boat. I mean, he could have just sat on the boat and, you know, eating pomegranates and who knows what else and just taking it easy. But instead, he decides to share the gospel, make the most of every opportunity. What we see of Apollos, he was traveling around, but he spoke with fervor because he cared. Do we care about our faith? Are all your eggs in one basket, so to speak? What's amazing, not only did he speak with fervor, because sometimes you can speak passionately but be wrong. What we see here is that he spoke about Jesus accurately. If you remember chapter 2, verses 42, there there were four categories, four things that the church did. There was fellowship, and there was the breaking of bread, and there was prayer. But what was the first thing? They sat under the teaching of the apostles. And what he was teaching about Jesus 
We don't know if he had spent time with Jesus or learned from these apostles, but he knew who Jesus was, and it was accurate. If you watch the History Channel, oftentimes they'll tell you the way the Gospels were written is kind of like the telephone game. You know the telephone game where you have one kid who says, uh, you know, I like to eat macaroni and cheese. And by the time you get to the 12th child, it's, you know, everybody sneezes or you know, whatever it is. Um, there's, it changes when it goes from child to child. And they say, in the same way, the Gospels have changed. But if you look, the church was so careful about guarding the tradition of the church. That's why they recorded it. That's why they put names. That's why they said, go ask so-and-so. He was there. Go ask so-and-so. He was there. They used eyewitness reports. According to Luke, he gathered information. He gathered evidence. And so what we see about Apollos, even though he's probably separated by one or two degrees, he was still sharing accurate information about Jesus Christ. But what does he say? He only knew the baptism of John. Now, why is that important? I want you to think back to the baptism of John. If you want, go ahead in your Bibles, keep your finger in Acts, and flip over to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. It describes the ministry that John had. I've always admired John. One, because of his uh, dress code. I've always wished I could wear a coat of camel hairs and you know, eat locusts and honey. I feel like that would make you feel really hardcore. But especially because the man minced no words. He was not afraid of offending anybody. And yet God used him so mightily for such a time. And what's amazing is that people started following after Jesus. And his disciples started to get jealous for him. And they said, shouldn't, shouldn't we tell them to stop? And he said, no, I must become lesser and he must become greater. He got it. He understood. The purpose of the ministry was not about him. It was about Jesus Christ. So when we look at it, Apollos knew about the baptism of John. Matthew chapter 3 says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent. For the kingdom of God has come near. This is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People came to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the whole region of Jordan. Confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw... Many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming, he said, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with righteousness. Produce fruit, I'm sorry, in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our fathers. Father, I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for, for, for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down. And thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But look at this. But after me is one who is more powerful than I. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And with fire. Apollos had not heard. Uh, had not heard about this, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the same way that we saw in Samaria. They had not heard about the Holy Spirit. So he was calling people away from their previous way of life. But Apollos was missing the truth of Christ dying for our sins. Elijah was the ministry before Christ. You see, we are called to feel bad about our sins. Yes, you have sinned. You have fallen short of the glory of God. You should feel terrible about your sin. But that's only the first step. Think about Judas Iscariot. He felt bad for what he did. But compare Peter 
with Judas. Judas felt terrible for what he did, and then he went and hung himself. Peter, on the other hand, felt terrible for what he did. But you look at the last chapter of John, and what does he do? He begs Christ for forgiveness. Christ pursues him, and, and, and he commits himself to Jesus Christ. You see, that's the second step. Not only to feel bad for what you do. Sure, guilt is an important part, but that's not the end. It's just the beginning. Furthermore, if you look at the Great Commission, in Matthew chapter 28, it says that when they are baptized, to be baptized, it says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There was an essential theological truth that we needed. He needed to know about who his God was. And if you look at the importance of the Holy Spirit, I've been astounded in these past how long have we been studying Acts? Five months? As the more we look at it, the importance of the Holy Spirit is on every single page. In Samaria, it was essential in Acts chapter 8 because they had not come to know the, the work of the Spirit. And in these last days, when the kingdom of God came, the, the repenting of sins was not, it's not just to feel bad for what you've done. It's to turn around and to follow after Christ. Commit to Him daily. Baptism is a command. And we are called to ask the Spirit for guidance to change our life daily, to change us daily. And what's amazing, if you look at verse 26, he was willing to be corrected. This Apollos, he was preaching, he was teaching with fervor. But when Aquila and Priscilla come to him, he's willing to be corrected. They don't, notice how they do it. They don't do it in public. They invite him to their home. He listens and learns from the couple. And notice, I want you to notice this. God doesn't just use Aquila. He uses Priscilla as well. In fact, her name is first. So a lot of people think that she was the one that showed initiative. This shows incredible humility from a man who had great knowledge. Remember, he'd studied at Alexandria. He was one of the smartest people alive. Likely, he'd studied under Philo of Alexandria. He was a, a tremendous, a tremendous the, uh, theologian of the time. And what does it do? This humility, it enhances his ministry. Before I go on, I want you to realize, God has granted this church, look around you, some wise women, some wise men, some wise children, teenagers, elders, deacons. And what's amazing is he just might use them for correction, for your correction. What we see about Apollos is he was willing to listen. To this couple. He was willing to sit and talk with them. It's funny. They, they sort of whined and dined him. And showed him. You know showed, showed to correct him. But they did it in a way that he was willing to listen. Would you be willing to listen? Regardless of who it came from. If God used someone else to correct you. Would you be willing to listen? What we see is because he listens. His ministry is enhanced. If you look at verses 27 and 28. He decides he wants to go to Achaia. And the main city of Achaia is Corinth. Remember how I talked about the division, some followed after Paul, some followed after Apollos. This is where he goes to Corinth, and he does so well there that, that the church latches on to him. He's given letters of recommendation. And what does he do? He proved from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. What's amazing, later on, Paul is talking about this ministry that he would go and do. And this is what, this is what he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For one says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Neither he who plants 
nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He shows who they were called to follow. What a tremendous way God used Apollos. But lastly, I want us to especially look at the ministry of Priscilla and Aquila. We see that in verse 18 and then 26 to 28. In chapter 18, verses 2 through 4, we see Priscilla and Aquila introduced. Um, there were Christians who had fled from Rome when Claudius ordered all Jews to leave Rome. And so they were in Corinth and they were tent makers. They made tents, literally. But they were also believers. And so Paul and Aquila and Priscilla ended up working together and ministering in the church in Corinth for those 18 months that they were there. They both worked on tents, but they also both were invested in the ministry. Leadership in the ministry of the church is not just the job of the apostle. It's not just the job of the pastor. It's not just the job of the elder and the deacon. It's the job of families. I want you to notice this. Paul left. Apollos left. Who stayed? This couple. God used them to correct even a college graduate, Ph.D. educated Apollos. And look at the way they corrected him. They, they whined and dined him, as I, as I mentioned. There was hospitality. They invited him into their home to show how he could improve his teaching. The real quote, it says, they explained the way of God. Realize, the way of God more adequately. They had time. They had teaching under their belt. They had been ministering in Corinth. And so what they wanted to show is they wanted Apollos' ministry to succeed. And so they did everything they could to use their experience from the past to help him succeed in the future. It wasn't a matter of competitiveness. It wasn't a matter of they wanted to help him succeed. What's amazing is this verse provides positive support for the idea that both men and women can explain God's word to each other in private or informal settings, like personal conversations or small Bible studies, without violating the prohibitions of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. I had the privilege of sitting in on uh, a women's circle meeting. We sat down, and it turns out they've been studying a commentary for these past several weeks, a commentary on the book of Joshua. I sat down with them thinking I was going to be the one that taught them. I learned so much from our time together at a circle meeting. What has amazed me is God has been maturing people in this church, and I had no idea. Are you pursuing spiritual growth? Because God can and will use you. This couple remained committed to the church for years. What's amazing, in the book of 2 Timothy which was written to the pastor of Ephesus at this time period, he asks that they be greeted. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19, Aquila and Priscilla stayed involved in this church in Ephesus. Later on in the book of Romans chapter 16, Paul is going to again greet them. with. There's a list of names, Apollo and Priscilla there, and Hermas and Julian, and there's several lists of names that are there, but he calls for them to be greeted. They stayed involved in the ministry. Wherever they went, they were part of the leadership. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16, this is what Paul says about the body of Christ. So this is the church where Apollos ministered and helped to start. This is the church that Paul helped to start. But this is the church that Priscilla and Aquila discipled, where they mentored, where they stayed, where they were committed. And this is what it says, Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. 
God himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for service so that the body of Christ may be built up. The body of Christ. Until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's actually supposed to be, I mean, that works, but it's the fullness of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth and love, that's what we see Aquila and Priscilla doing, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, which grows and is built up in love as each part does its work. What I've been astounded by is how many people work in this church to make it what it is. So many people who serve. There's so many people who don't sit on these pews, who sit in that nursery every single week so that you can. There's so many people who have organized uh, senior events throughout this week. That's been one of the most incredible parts of this past year. So that they feel cared for, so that there's something there for them, so that they're reminded their church cares about them. There are people who come Wednesdays and help down in the basement, serving alongside Jonathan, doing middle school Bible studies. There's people who do the flag. And what's amazing is so many of these people never get credit. They never get recognized. Nobody stands up and says, this is what they're doing. So many times. How many times have you heard a sermon about Aquila and Priscilla? I never have. There are people who worked in the background. But without them, the church of Ephesus, I'm convinced, would not have been here. God used them for the church. And so what I encourage you is, first of all, like Apollos, we need to be ready to learn from anyone. God may use a child. God may use an elder. God may use some. It could be anybody. Are you willing to learn if the Holy Spirit is stirring in their hearts to teach you? Sometimes it's just a comment that people make that realizes something that you need to change or do. Secondly, like the people of Ephesus, God has blessed us with such a beautiful community. We have, despite a pastor leaving and despite tumultuous times this past year, we have fairly stable leadership. We have Christian families who are involved and, 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 and those who, despite transitory and moving pieces, people who are learning to be better equipped. All of us are necessary for this effort. We need each other. Did you notice in that 1 Corinthians 12 passage that said, if one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part is honored. We need each other, all of us, for this effort. And the Spirit does use us all. Be willing to be used by the Spirit. What's amazing is God uses Apollos for the foundation of the ministry. And then Paul comes and and he does a significant amount of preaching. But God really, really strengthens the church through through the work of Aquila and Priscilla. And what's amazed me is Clover ARP Church is here because of its families. We need to recognize that and continue to serve in that way. We talked about this in Sunday school. The family is a God-ordained institution. And you are necessary 
to the body of Christ. Your family, not just you, your kids too, are necessary for the body of Christ. Lastly, we need, we are all necessary because of God's spirit. Apollos doesn't get the credit. Paul doesn't get the credit. Neither does Aquila and Priscilla. I said just a second ago, the church of Ephesus wouldn't have been there without Aquila and Priscilla. God could have used anyone else. He could have done it in another way. But he chooses to use us. We're all necessary. We are necessary because we belong to the body of Christ, but it's because of God's spirit. It's because we are children of God. It's because the spirit dwells in you. Your spiritual position. You are in Christ. That's the major driving force to the book of Ephesians, of being in Christ, being in him. And so now we are called to recognize, because we are in him, we are called to serve in the church. I want to encourage you, make sure that the cart doesn't come before the horse. Make sure that your service for the church isn't just doing, doing, doing. It needs to start from your position. You are in Christ. You are a follower of Christ. Your family is necessary for the growth of the church. Therefore, I spend time with God. I spend time in prayer. Yes, so that I can serve the church, but mostly because I am God's child. Because Jesus Christ is my Savior. He is my best friend. And therefore, we'll recognize we need each other. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this passage of scripture that reminds us of how you use so many different kinds of people for the work of the church. And reading through the book of Ephesians, we know they had trials and they had disagreements and uh, they had struggles. And yet, Paul calls them to remember the unity they have in Jesus Christ. God, I've been so impressed and so amazed at how you've unified Clover ARP Church. Despite contentious times, and I don't just mean this past year, God, I mean through the years. You have protected and guarded and guided us. And for that, we thank you. God, your faithfulness for the past years reminds us and encourages us to pray for the coming years. That this church would be faithful, that it would be compassionate. We don't pray that this church would be here for our children and grandchildren just because it's a beautiful building or because of our tradition, but because we truly believe that you have used this church for the advancement of the gospel and to transform this society and this town. And we pray that it would continue to do so. Use us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.